What's going on, friends? Welcome to the Info Diet Podcast number one with me, Clayne Lopez. So, first of all, thanks for listening in. I wanted to share why I decided to create a podcast. Um, uh, there was there is a lot of uh, intrinsic reasons, but the biggest one is that I want to create a positive impact in the world. And for the last probably like eight years of my life, I've been trying to figure out how to do that. Eventually, uh, you know, I figured that it would be through through business, right? Uh, just money is a tool and the more, more money you have, uh, it's a tool that can help and create a lot of positive impact. Um, but I have a lot of interest and a lot of communities that I'm a part of. So in the past, I've tried businesses and they failed. And I think the reason was is that uh, I restricted those businesses to be very niche, right? Like military or like uh, entrepreneurship, stuff like that. But my my interests are broad. So I wanted an outlet that allowed me to to express my interest in all different areas, right? So one of those things that I'm very passionate about throughout every area is self-improvement. And I've reached a point in my life where I have developed the skills and the traits that allows me to create habits and change who I am and change, have a positive impact in my life at my discretion. Okay, and it's not a place where I, I, I've, I've always been. And in fact, this is quite quite recent, right? Within the last maybe three, four years. That's when I learned the skill to positively influence my life. The skill that allows me to pick up a habit and retain the habit and had that habit transform my life. Okay. And it has transformed everything from my finances to my career, to my relationships, just about anything that you can think of is a byproduct of your character, of your character traits, of the habits you build. And and it's not easy. It wasn't easy finding the answer to that. But I feel like I got there. So now I'm at a point where I feel like I need to share this with you all. Okay, I, I need to not only improve myself, but also help you improve as well. Help others improve as well. Help others discover uh, how to accomplish that, which is... Uh, the ability to to pick a goal, figure out how you're going to to need to perform or train or prepare, what habits you need to develop, what character traits you need to develop in order for you to accomplish that goal. And this, everything I'm mentioning right now, can be summarized in one word. And that is competitive greatness. Okay, competitive greatness is being at your best when your best is needed. And when you think of competitive greatness, I want you to think of your actual best. If you did everything perfectly in the area that you're trying to improve in, how what would your actual best look like? What would he look like? What would she look like in three months? What would it look like in a year? 
what would it look like in five years, what it would look like in 20 years, okay? That, that vision of doing everything perfect for, for X amount of time, that is what I think is competitive greatness, right? You can achieve competitive greatness in many areas, right? You can achieve competitive greatness in your relationships. You can achieve competitive greatness in sports. You can achieve competitive greatness in finances, spirituality. But it doesn't change the fact that, that pursuing competitive greatness allows you to, to, to get closer to that goal, right? Is being at your best when your best is needed. And true competitive greatness might never be achievable, right? But as you'll learn uh, through this podcast, it's not the goal that we're going to aim for. It's the effort to reach that goal. Uh, And friends, before I continue, uh, here in a bit, I'm going to teach you some lessons from the greatest coach in history. The greatest coach in history. That sounds pretty fucking cool, right? Uh, But before I do that, I need a favor from you, okay? I'm on a mission to create exponential impact in the world, meaning that I want you to become a leader and then create leaders and just create a positive impact in the world. But I need your help, okay? I, I wasn't born with the privilege to have, you know... Uh, this inheritance given to me. I wasn't even born in this country. Uh, So I don't have all the tools and resources that other people might have. But what I do have is you and that relationship that we're building, that trust, okay? So what I ask from you is that if you get value out of this podcast, please share it with a friend, okay? If you take something from this podcast that resonates with you, that helps you achieve competitive greatness, share it with a friend. Okay, my goal is to have 1 million people achieve competitive greatness. Okay, it starts with me, or maybe not achieve competitive greatness, but pursue competitive greatness. And it starts with me, then it starts with you, and then it starts with whoever you share it with. Okay, so that's the deal. Now back to the podcast. Today, we are going to talk about the greatest coach in history, because he was probably one of the most influential people I've had in my life. Now, I never met him, but he left his legacy behind in a book called On Leadership by John Wooden. So let me tell you a little bit about John Wooden by reading the preface that Steve Jamieson, who honestly, I don't know who is, wrote about him. In his book. And I quote. This book will save you time. When it comes to identifying. And implementing John Wooden's. Leadership genius. In ways that best suits your own organization. Having worked with Coach Wooden. For many years. On several books and projects. I hear this question. What's his secret? How did he do it? 10 national championships. A record. Seven in a row. A record. 88 consecutive victories. A record. 38 straight tournament playoff wins. A record. Four perfect seasons. A record. With only one losing year. 
his first year in 41 years of coaching. How did he do it? How did he set all those records? Here's the answer. Coach John Wooden taught good habits. That's it. That's the answer. John Wooden taught good habits to those under his leadership at Dayton High School, South Bend Central High School, Indiana State College, and of course UCLA. All along the way, he kept teaching good habits until eventually he became one of the best builders of winning teams the world has ever seen. So now, friends, Coach John Wooden is the greatest coach in history by far. And not necessarily for his accomplishments, uh, which, uh, which you just read, right? It's, it's someone that won 10 national, that turned UCLA team when they were, they were like not the greatest team and turned them into a 10, in, in it won them 10 national championships. Going four years undefeated at, at a time. And I want you to picture that. Being in the most competitive environment that you can be, which is a professional league, and going four years where your team does not lose. Okay? And it's not even a team of super studs and athletes that that are just like the best, the best in the game that money can buy, right? This is a team with with players that keep changing every year, and every year you still make a winning team. Now, for that reason, even though I don't know, like I don't care about basketball, I don't even like basketball. It shows that there's something to the way that uh, Coach Wooden would lead his team, would teach that worked. Okay, and because this happened a long time ago, I feel like those lessons are getting lost. Uh, luckily, I'm an avid reader, and I understand that most people are not. So this podcast is a way for me to bring those lessons to you. Um, so now, what I want to cover next is the main philosophy of, of Coach John Wooden, which was to not focus on winning, but focus on the effort. And winning will then become a byproduct of effort, okay? I think this is probably the biggest lesson that Coach Wooden left to us, okay? Uh, When you read his book, and I'll cover some passages here in a bit, but you'll realize that all the people under his leadership mentioned that he never mentioned the word winning, okay? Winning was not... um, Something that he pursued. He pursued competitive greatness, which again we cover is being at your best when your best is needed. All that winning that he did was simply a byproduct. So I want to go back into the book so that you understand that where he where he was coming from, okay? Coach Sean Wooden was a humble guy that didn't care about the lights and the flashes and the fame. He simply cared about competitive greatness. Um, so, and I'll quote from the book. If I had a genie and they, he had given me a third wish, it might have, I might have requested that the folder all disappear, but the practices remain. Those practices were where my teachings 
coaching, and leadership existed in a wonderful, pure form, free from the folderol. What occurred in the practices is what gave me joy and satisfaction, teaching others how to bring forth the best of which they are capable. Ultimately, I believe that's what leadership is all about, helping others achieve their own greatness by helping the organization succeed. So again, friends, this is not about the win. This is not about the fame. Look, you might like those things, but even then, you can understand that winning is going to be a byproduct and it's not a choice, okay? This is something, I'm in the military, I'm in the Marine Corps, and the mission of the Marine Corps is to win the nation's battles, okay? And the consequences of not doing that for America are grave. So how do I balance this need to win because my life, my generations uh, of Americans' lives depend on it? How do I balance that need to win with not focus on winning because winning is a byproduct? Uh, so, so ultimately, yes, absolutely. I hope that at the end, of my journey to competitive greatness, it leads to a win. But that is outside my control. And that is wasted energy. And that creates a path in which now you're focusing and you're predicting and you're acting in in a way that's outside your control, really. What I understand now is that if I do want to make a, a group of people that are going to win in the battlefield, I actually need to take my focus away from winning. And I need to make sure that those groups of people are on their way to achieve competitive greatness and that our organization as a whole is also on its way to achieve competitive greatness. And like Coach uh, Wooden said, I ultimately believe that that's what leadership is all about, just helping others achieve their own greatness, okay? And then when you come as, uh, together as a group, the organization is at its best that it can possibly be. And then winning is just going to be a byproduct of that. So <clears throat> I'll go back to the book again. Winning is a byproduct. Focus on the product, which is effort. We live in a society obsessed with winning and being number one. Don't follow the pack. Rather, focus on the process instead of the price. Even during a height of UCLA's best seasons, I never fixated on winning. Didn't even mention it. Rather, I did everything that I could, that I could to make sure that other players gave everything they had to give, both in practice and in games. The score will take care of itself when you take care of the effort that precedes the score. And again, friends, it's that same philosophy over and over again. And I'm only repeating it because he repeated it a lot because it's that important. Okay. So what I want you to take away from this is how can I stop focusing on the actual goal? And how can I start focusing on the effort? That's going to take to reach that goal. Okay. Uh, something that 
I see happening right now as I train Marine Corps officer candidates about to go to OCS is that we all have different starting points, okay? Some candidates, they, they, they're athletes, right? They're college athletes uh, and they're just studs at PT, physical activity, physical training. And other candidates, they just want to serve and it's kind of like their introduction to working out. They never had like a program or a trainer or a coach or a, or a team. So obviously, both candidates are in a very different position, right? But the standard that I held, that I hold them to is that competitive greatness, which is giving 100% effort. And let me tell you how that looks sometimes. Sometimes those candidates that are super fit among the pool of like, let's call them average candidates, they will lead a run, for example, at a 60% effort, at a 70% effort. However, they're not even close to success as that candidate that's in the back, like giving absolutely everything that he has, okay? Because those candidates that are in the front giving 70% effort, success for them should not be to lead the run. Success for them should be how fast and how far can I go? Can I lap another candidate? Is that is that what my 100% effort looks like, right? When doing pull-ups, the Marine Corps has set a standard that says that 23 pull-ups is, a, is 100 points, right? 100%, the max you can get. And guess what? Some candidates stop at 23 pull-ups when they have 30 pull-ups to give. See how... And, and then some candidates, on the other hand, they hang from the bar and they can't do a pull-up, but they try to do a pull-up for like three minutes, right? And it's just that effort. Uh, the effort is greater in that candidate that can't even do a pull-up than in the candidate that stops at 23 pull-ups. And <clears throat> this matters uh, because over the in the long term, those candidates that... Those people, now let's talk about people, the people that train themselves to give 100% effort and make that their default, they make that their habit, over the long term, those people are going to by far uh, surpass those with just the natural talent, okay? And those those candidates that had the talent and they got away with doing 60% effort, 70% effort, again, that's their default mode of thinking. So when a candidate comes of their same physical ability, but willing by default to always give 100% effort, winning uh, goes to the candidate that has given that 100% effort over a longer period of time. Now, friends, I want to explain to you why this works, right? Uh, we obviously trust, uh, trust Coach Wooden because he was very successful, but... I'm also the type of person who likes to know why things work, right? And for that, I'm going to reference a study. And it's a study that I'm going to reference loosely because I honestly can't remember the name. And I can't even remember who did the study. But I took away a lot from it. And, and if you do know, please reach out. I would, I would love to get that um, in the references. But the study went like this. This study was a study that was measuring uh, the effects of rewarding kids for their effort versus rewarding kids for their results, 
So it's like a school setting, and I believe it's like a bunch of sixth graders. And in one group, we have the group that is being rewarded by their effort. And on the other group, we have the group that's being rewarded by the results, right? So the the kids that are being rewarded by effort are giving are given a test that might be out of their uh ahead of their their understanding of 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 or ahead of what they they knew they're given a hard test in simpler words and the kids that were rewarded by their results they were given an easier test so what happens is obviously the kids being rewarded by effort that got the hard test they didn't score as good right they, they they got like a C plus for example, which means like seventy percent of the answers correct. Uh, now the kids that were measuring, uh, that that were being rewarded by their results, they all got like A pluses, right? The the test was easy for them. Now what happens here? They were asked if they wish to continue into a more difficult test. The kids that were being rewarded by effort said absolutely yes. Even though they didn't score it as high on the first test, right? They got 70% of them correct. And I'm using that number loosely. I'm not exactly sure what the actual score was. But let's say it was 70%. They were like, oh, I got 70% correct, but I got rewarded by effort. Yeah, I'll take the harder test, right? And risk failing it or whatever. Versus the kids that were rewarded by the results... They did not want the harder test. They were like, no, like I got an A plus. Why would I risk um, like losing, losing that, uh, that A plus, right? And why does this happen? Well, the paper theorizes that it happens as a, as a method to protect their ego, right? Those kids... They they elevated their status when they got the A plus that and they were being measured by results. So why would they choose the option to lower their status by taking a harder test? Versus those kids that were rewarded by effort, their status was their effort, right? When they rewarded their status, that was uh, uh the effort being rewarded. So they were absolutely willing to take a harder test. And as you can see, friends. In life, we we obviously grow when we push ourselves and we keep pushing that boundary and we keep pushing that boundary. But if we're pushing that boundary and we reward ourselves with, with results rather than the effort, it can lead to us having this se- sense of um, it, like our ego feeling defensive against taking new challenges that are going to guarantee or have the possibility of failure. When just keeping your your status where you are is much safer. And I kind of have a personal anecdote that happened to me um, in my journey in the Marine Corps. Uh, so when I joined the Marine Corps, and this is back, back in the day, it's a long time ago. Uh, I went through boot camp, right? And I, I didn't come again from a privileged family. So I was like a super skinny kid. You know, I didn't get a lot to eat. I didn't have like access to gym facilities, none of that in high school. I was like a 120 pound kid. 
But I had a lot of heart, right? And I wanted the challenge for the Marine Corps. So I go to boot camp and I'm, I have a fire in me. Now, in boot camp, there's different jobs that recruits can have, right? And if you have a job in boot camp, it usually takes away from your personal time, right? Because when the other candidates are like sleeping or writing letters or whatever, if you have a job, you're doing your job. And there's not a lot of free time as it is in boot camp. So all that time that you have is very, very precious, very valuable. With that said, you can volunteer to have a job. And I was like, I was fired up. I was like, put me in, right? So my job in boot camp was to be the scribe. And the scribe essentially has to stay up after hours. So it loses like an hour of sleep writing the like the plan for the instructors on this like whiteboard with like a stencil it takes time and you have to like essentially stencil this this format into a whiteboard right and and it's like the plan for the next day or something like that um now so so that's me right i have a job and obviously there's other candidates uh, other recruits at the time that also have their different types of jobs, right? And I recognize, like, look, I want to be the best recruit out here, right? I'm fired up. Like, let's go. I want another job. I want a second job. Now, why would I, Why was I volunteering for all these jobs? Again, for me, it was mainly out of that that fire to, to just um, be outstanding, but there was also an incentive provided by the Marine Corps in which the top candidates in the platoon uh, or, or as selected by the instructors would get promoted to the next rank upon graduation of boot camp, right? And it usually went that the candidates that had the job obviously were the candidates that volunteer, the candidates that show that initiative, and those would be the candidates that would get promoted. Um, so that was there. Now... I had two jobs, right? I volunteered for two jobs, meaning that I was, first of all, I was the only recruit that had two jobs in my platoon, meaning that I was sacrificing a lot of my personal time to make those jobs happen, which was totally okay for me. At the end of like the the last week when we're already Marines and they're deciding who they're going to promote, they promote every single candidate or recruit that had a job but me that I had two jobs now why why did they did that they did that because my pull-ups sucked right my pft sucked I like I said I was not a a fit recruit I just wasn't I was 120 pounds and I absolutely gave him my best I went from zero pull-ups to having to work, uh, you know, I had to go to high school. I had to work a full-time job. And at 11, I would leave my job, skate or ride my bike for two miles, get to a park. And by midnight, I was doing my set of pull-ups. And I did that all through high school. So when I went to boot camp, I shipped off with eight pull-ups, which was a huge improvement for me. It was a lot of effort and it took a lot of time. But 
there's candidates that were co- uh, recruits that were college ath- uh, sorry high school athletes and stuff like that and obviously they did like 23 pull-ups they did like 30 pull-ups right physical studs now this was a case where the marine corps was rewarding results which was the results of the pft which the marine corps is very inclined to do versus effort okay and i'm not saying that story because i like oh man i wish i would have gotten promoted back in boot camp like it's not a it's not a pity story it's a story uh to tell you that after that incident where all my effort went unrecognized and like i saw that it was like really just the results that they cared about i stopped giving a shit like to me it was such a failure to appreciate the effort like that was like I, I didn't have the same starting point as them like why are you putting this Canada ab- above me that's the feeling I got right and it's a feeling that solidified through the rest of my career because the Marine Corps again puts a high emphasis on your physical fitness results right they don't care where you start or whatnot which is something I can understand later on in your career when you have learned, when you have given the opportunity to work out and to learn how to train and stuff like that. But early on, it crushed me. It absolutely crushed me. The School of Infantry was the same. I volunteered and immediately they were like, oh, you can do more than like 10 pull-ups? Yeah, you're not going to be uh, the scribe anymore, stuff like that, right? So I say all this. Just to tell you why is it that rewarding yourself with the effort and not the result is the right path, okay? When you reward yourself with effort, you want to do more. When you reward yourself with results, you let your ego have a choice in which you're going to have to choose between doing the next hardest thing and losing your status because you failed or you can stay comfortably where you are because, hey, you already got the result, right? Why would you risk failure? So, oh, drop my pen there. Friends, my goal to you is that you can achieve this concept that Coach John Wooden taught us, which is competitive greatness, okay? That's something that I'm pursuing myself, being at my best when my best is needed. And this is my best and it's measured in effort. And it's not measured by competing with anyone else but myself. Because again, like we covered, we have different starting points. And my 100% effort might look different than your 100% effort. And you might think that just because you're third place that you failed when in reality that third place at 100% effort is more of a success than that first place at an 80 or anything below 100% effort all right so uh that's all i have for today uh if you got value out of this podcast please share it with a friend give me reviews i'm sure that's important okay if 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 you like what I have to say, give me a five-star review. If you don't like what I have to say, 
please don't leave a review. I'm trying to create exponential impact. So don't screw me over. Anyways, have a beautiful day, friends. Uh, Until next podcast, out.